sugarcoating, no spin, taking the hard knocks. We're learning from failure so you can succeed. This is the Philosophy Audio and Video Cast with Gabe Zickerman. In the time of chimpanzees, I was a monkey. Butane in my veins and I'm out to cut the chunky with the plastic eyeballs. Spray paint the vegetables, dog food. Welcome, everybody, to the Philosophy Show. I'm your host, Gabe Zickerman. And as you can guess from the name, the topic is about failure and taking a look at failure in a very unflinching, uncompromising, low bullshit kind of way. Um, you know, part of my contention about the world is that if you're not uh, currently on the precipice of failure, meaning you don't see and feel a failure potential in your imminent future, you're not living your life to your fullest potential. And um, you know, and I'm excited to uh, talk to various people. This is what we do every week. Uh, talk to various people about their experiences with failure to try to get some insight, uh, you know, into specifically how a failure works for folks. Um, you know, this week, as, as some of you know, uh, we recently decided to wind down my, my promising startup onward, which is focused on um, helping people with tech addiction. And one of the things that I'm noticing about my experience, and I, I feel like it was the right decision, but one of the things that I notice is every couple of days and sometimes every day, I have a moment where I question whether or not question a set of decisions, like I'll see something and it will prompt a thought for me. And then I'll be like, oh, if only we had done this and only we had done this and only we had done this. And it's a, it's a very interesting experience. And I don't seem to be able to shake it despite the fact that there's been, you know, a few months and I don't know. You know, if that's specifically my personality or just just how it is, but is one interesting observation that even after this sort of moment where you feel like you have closure, or you've done something, you're still like kind of I'm still, you know, agonizing about it. I don't know if you sort of relate to that. Now, before we get going, just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the Philosophy Podcast on uh, Apple, Stitcher, iTunes, um, Spotify and all that good stuff. And then the goal is to come to you live on Facebook, uh, Thursdays or Fridays, sometimes maybe both, um, around midday, uh, Pacific time. So, you know, stay tuned. And if you're already, uh, following me on Facebook, you should see this, uh, this pretty quickly. And, uh, so as per usual, I want to bring on a guest. Now this, this guest, um, is an amazing person. I'm a huge fan of hers. Uh, welcome B. Arthur. Hi, B. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. So there, there have been two iconic B. Arthurs in my <laughs> life, or B's Arthur in my life. B's Arthur, yeah. <laughs> there have been That's two the of them. You are, you are, of course, the one that I, um, that I love the most. Um, <laughs> and you can, you can follow B on, uh, social media on Twitter at uh, B. Arthur LMHC. Um, so, uh, so a couple of questions. For you just to get started, maybe you can introduce yourself and tell uh, people who don't know you a little yeah. bit about you. Well, thank you for having me. I love you so much. I'd do anything for you. Oh, and I know this is a professional conversation, but I just wanted to start by saying that. Thank That's you for having nice. me. Um, but yeah, obviously by that like gushing love waterfall, I am what I like to consider a professional people person, which means I'm a therapist. Uh, so my background is as a licensed mental health counselor. Um, I love the field. I'll do it forever. But my career kind of really 
its main inflection point was at the intersection of psychology and technology. So I started one of the first online therapy companies back in 2011. Um, we were one of the first to move therapy online with video. And I did it because I was a domestic violence counselor at the time. And whenever I talked to people about what I did, people would say all these things, their opinion of therapy, that mostly it wasn't good. It was this, it was that. But then because I was open to hearing them, I would become their de facto therapist. <laughs> and I was like, I love this work so much. I know it's valuable. There is this huge stigma that exists, but people clearly still need it. How can I make it easier? You know, the internet was really just getting popping and social and apps and stuff. And so I figured all our other secrets were online. Why not put a therapist there to help us process it? And I started Pretty Padded Room. And um, yeah, we did on-demand therapy through video and interactive journal. Um, I was doing it nights and weekends. I'm a very outsider founder. I'm from New York. I was a therapist. And yeah, I just thought it would be this like part-time counseling company I would like tinkered with and paid my student loans. And I ended up running a tech platform <laughs> with no technical experience and no technical co-founder, but I still found a way to make it work. Obviously the need was there. Um, we were in business for five years. Uh, we were doing, um, we did almost a million dollars in revenue by the time we closed actual revenue. We were in 39 states and 30 countries. Um, I was on Shark Tank. I became the first African-American female founder in Y Combinator with that business. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. That's, that's did amazing. That? No, yeah. I did not know that. And uh, had I known that when I applied, I probably wouldn't have. So that's oh, another thing about fear and failure. Yeah, yeah. I would have felt like it wasn't for me. You know, I'm a very outsider founder if you look at the traditional ballet profile. So for me, me yeah, everything changed. We, we ran into In Your Corner. Um, but as I mentioned, I didn't have a very strong tech team. Um, you know, the rebrand took a lot longer than expected. Uh, we had a lot of technical debt that eventually turned into my personal debt. And by the time um, we got the rebrand up, Talkspace came out of nowhere in a notch, like the, their $8 million closing round. And so we just couldn't catch up after that. So after five years, we closed in 2016. I died for a while. Mm. I gained like 20 pounds. In that time, I met you and you and I fell in love. I had a lot of friends support me. I started writing for Forbes. And then I decided I want to finish what I started, you know, and now I'm working on my new company, The Difference, because I still believe the right talk at the right time can make all the difference. That's cool. And thank you. I'm good at tagline. And we, um, yeah, we provide on-demand therapy as an Alexa skill. So that's what we're doing. That's awesome. And at, before um, before we move on, I want to say hi to uh, George Oltianu, who said hi to us. Welcome. Ah. Um, it's like romper <laughs> room. Every time uh, somebody comes on one of these shows, I'm like, you know, I love as, a, it. as a kid, I sat there desperately waiting for them to say and really? I see Gabe. No, they never said it. They never said Gabe. They do on they do on Instagram Live. So you know, we all want the same things. It's yeah. just different. We things. want this acknowledgement, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So you you've talked a little bit about outsider uh, outsider founder. Yeah. You mentioned yeah. that a couple of times. So um, so when you think about that in context, did you have a moment? Um, you know, after as things were sort of starting to kind of hit the skids. Did you have a moment where you were like, I should have known better? Yeah, I mean, I'm a very self-taught founder in, in the valley sense of the word. You know, like I'm non-technical. I still don't know how to code. I don't want to learn how to code. You know, to me, fundraising and all that stuff is business, like dumb. Like there's a lot of things that I straight up disagree with. And um, but at the time, these, you know, YC gave me a kind of pedigree. You know, I could not get an investor meeting even when we were doing 11,000 a month, like with no customer acquisition spend. Like, and I, so I had this natural instinct from this business and certainly the passion for it. But there was just I didn't know how to speak the language. I didn't know what a SaaS was. 
was, I didn't know what that word meant until my second right. or third year. And, you know, I was sure when I was getting meetings, people were looking at me like I had eight heads and I had no idea what I was talking about. Luckily, once, you know, because the first two years I was full time on my futon, you know, and I was still waiting tables, but that was how I paid my bills. It wasn't until I joined the, the alley, which is a co-working space here in New York, and I met people who kind of show me what this is the shape of it. And YC was very, you know, helpful to that point. But yeah, it became very clear that I didn't know the things that they knew, you know? How how did you, um, oh, and actually we have another like fun little comment from, I don't know, this is a very small world moment. Hello, Teresa. Um, yes. <laughs> we also, we also love you, Teresa. Teresa wants, um, Teresa is also of Hungarian, um, heritage and we, We've had many a conversation about paprika quality, which is <laughs> Hungarians do when they meet each other. Um, oh, I want and, I, and I think she even gave me uh, some fancy paprika at some point, which, you know, which is kind of amazing. But okay, back Teresa, to you. I've never got any. I'm offended. Okay. But I'm I, so glad you're here. I will give you, I will give you some. <laughs> I will give you some for both of us. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, so one of the things is like, so as you were kind of going through this process and people were kind of coming at you and you realized you didn't know, like there were all these unknown unknowns or known yeah. unknowns, right? Which I'm sure started right. to become obvious to you. Um, were you at that point, how did you overcome the natural mm. sort of instinct to run the other way from that kind yeah. of situation? Yeah, I mean, I'm really lucky because, again, I didn't know about the startup culture enough to know that I should have been acting a certain way. I can only be me. I'm a therapist. I love myself very deeply. I only ever want to be me. And also, like, I didn't do any of this to get in the good graces to be on Sand Hill Road. I didn't know about none of that. I really wanted to. I did my help desk. I was a solo founder and employee for three of the five years. I only cared about my vision of making sure that as many people as possible have therapy through my site. And um, and also, like, I'm a really humble person. So if I didn't know something, I'd be like, what's that? What is a SaaS? Oh, my God, that's exactly what we're doing. Oh, what is a marketplace? Is that what we're doing? Oh, I don't say B2C versus B2B. I say consumer versus enterprise, like, very slowly. And also because, you know, like, I'm a therapist. I'm likable, you know? Like, I never put on – people like me. I can't – yeah, like people always just took me in as their little sister. You know, I'm a grown ass woman, but if you feel like, oh, be yourself, let me teach you something. And also just anything I've learned, even through dating, is everybody looks good and feels good doing what they're good at. So as long as you're not being like aggressive with people's time, you know, as long as it's like, you know, a very organic intro or reason that you're in the same room together and the person sees that you're earnest, like I don't, you know, people like us get advised asked to be their advisors or mentors all the time. And it's like, no, nah, we ain't got the bandwidth for that. But, you know, even recently I met a young woman. I do not have the bandwidth for this, but I love what she's doing. I love how she's thinking. And if I can be helpful, I want to. I'm happy I'm helpful. And I feel like a lot of people in our community are like that. I think that's probably true. But so so yeah. who, so who? let's go back to the time when the project was sort of where you started hitting kind of real um, headwinds. You know, you talked about being an outsider founder, not knowing, you know, not knowing everything. Um, but then there's probably a moment, maybe there's a moment in your experience where you started the realization that maybe it wasn't going to work out, um, started yes. to creep in. So, uh, so can we talk about that transition from the part where you're a uh, entrepreneur who is like taught to uh, not pay attention to the naysayers, right? Like all these right. people are, are trying to be negative. And then there's a moment at which you're kind of like, oh, maybe these naysayers are right. 
I'm telling you, I always say like the two things that an entrepreneur needs is to be shameless and fearless. And that's, and you just have to keep going. The thing that they don't tell you about that is like, I have so much, I always say I have so much more respect for actors now because like, it's the only thing where you're expected to like put on your best self and sell something, be confident. Mm -hmm. And they say no to your face and you're expected to be gracious, you know, And, and that's really painful. But to your point, you know, entrepreneurs are also stubborn and to a certain extent delusional. And for me, when it started to kick in was after Talkspace had announced this huge round, um, you know, I was still fundraising at that time because everyone said, let me see the new site. Let me see the new site. So, you know, just going in and we were still making money. Like we were doing at our peak 51,000 a month in monthly recurring revenue. So I'm like, this is undeniable. There could be a Uber versus Lyft, David Goliath situation. But I just, and I, again, had I known this from the beginning, investors, did not take me seriously. You know, I didn't, right. I knew they didn't take me seriously before, but like, you know, a lot of times people will take meetings just because, you know, a friend recommended me or, you know, they hadn't looked at my deck and, you know, I dealt with a lot of not sexism. I mean, yeah, a lot of sexual harassment, but I don't care. Like, yeah, a lot. I was yeah, on the CNN sure. piece about sexual harassment. That's an everyday thing for me. Unfortunately for most women, the worst part of the sexual harassment is the sexism and the dismissiveness and the, I was, they were never going to take me seriously because I'm cute and I'm nice. And, you know, like, I, I don't know. And I was pitching a business called pretty padded room and just over and over realizing that like I wasn't going to um, get investments from these. They weren't going to take me seriously as an investment opportunity. They would say no. And then ask me to do a panel for them. They'd say no. And then, you know, like ask me out to hang out all the time. And and that was like, I was like, okay, I'm being seen. I'm getting these rooms. My business is not, you know, it was just this thing. And we ran out of funding in um, May. I remember May 29th, 2015. And that was when I had to let my, C team go. But again, I just was never say die. I was like, I don't care. And I did it for 10 more months. We didn't close until April 2016. So for the next 10 months, I took on all these crazy loans. I had to pay like 15,000. I had to find that money every single month for 10 months. And it was brutal. I was paying payroll over rent, you know, like some, and, and it wasn't until, um, really what made me stop was, um, at the end of 2015, I was doing my taxes because I let Emily go. And so I had to do it myself. I hadn't kept up with Gusto. And I looked at the books and I was like, damn, all this time I've been focusing on fundraising and finding the tech talent and hiring people. We had somehow made $419,000 in awesome. 2015 with a broken site, mm-hmm. with like all this other shit, with me totally not having my eye on the ball, just the system running as it was, our clients coming in and my therapist doing their thing. And I was like, damn, if I would have focused on getting money the old fashioned way from customers, where would we have been by now? So I got really into like the law of attraction and like, I was like, I'm going to save the company. I got this like second wind. But again, we were still like negative 20,000 every single month. So at the beginning of that year, my therapists are like, Hey, where's my cut? You know, we did a 40, 60 split. Um, two girls who had worked for me for a long time volunteered to help me because they knew I was doing everything by myself on the admin side. And, um, I should have seen it coming, they, you know, and they, cause I know they did, but I think they sense that things were winding down these two holes. And I could say this because like, when you find out what these happens, did, these two bitches came in to the admin, stole all of our client data. Oh, um, yep. Um, little, the, some of the code created a copycat site. They did it in like three weeks. Um, wrote to, and like, I can't even, if you, if you hear the whole story, it's crazy, but like wrote to my investors, wrote from their work emails to the rest of my therapists that they were quitting. And I was a scammer and this and that or whatever. And they knew. And in fact, they, I was letting them keep their percentage of the 40, 60 split until I could pay them back. And I was, they knew that what I was going through, they knew that I was like in the process of getting evicted. They knew, and they still went out of their way to do this. They, they sent it from their work emails. They created the site. They wrote to my investors. 
investors. They told clients who were confused because obviously that's a low class move and it looks shady. They told certain clients that um, they should call their credit card companies and, and to charge back disputes. And again, one of these women like had just bought a home. Another woman had had a baby. I was right. partly doing this for them. Like they were, you know, helping my business come alive. And so the fact that I was like, oh. I'm the only dummy here because I would, yeah, I was trying to keep it alive for our clients. I was trying to keep it alive for our therapist, but I was suffering and struggling. And I was like, oh, God wants me to stop. It has to be so pain. You know, every so, breakup has to be really bad for you to quit. Yeah. So, so basically it was this violation by these other yeah, two people that right. where you suddenly were like, oh, you know, this my is going to kill me. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's funny. This it, is going to kill me. It's funny because for us with Onward, there was a kind of similar pattern, which I've, I've heard now from a few people. Yeah. There was this day, April 4th, I think Apple announced a competitive product to us. Mm. Um, and then, you know, on that day, uh, you know, and I had been, you know, I'd let a bunch of people go and we were down to a smaller team and we were like yeah. still, and I was like, I could not give it up. I, w- I was doing kind of the same thing that you were doing. I was, you know, in Signal. debt, all this kind of stuff. And it's I was painful. like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep, you know, raising this money and making it happen. And it was, it was that external stimulus that actually, that the Apple announcement. Right, something forces you to stop. Yeah. yeah. And I was resisting it. I resisted it for a little while. And then I was like, oh, yeah, maybe right. this is a problem. And we got to think of it differently. Yeah. Um, you know, before, I want to go back to something you said. You think entrepreneurs should be shameless and fearless. Yeah. One of the things that I question about that, um, that advice um, that's given is that a shameless, fearless, fearless person is a sociopath. <laughs> Not and necessarily. We've certainly <laughs> There's seen... lots of characteristics, and we've talked about the DSM game. Yeah. Do not mislead our listeners, but go ahead. <laughs> but don't you there's think there's... There's a few other characteristics. I get it. I get it. But aren't there some things... Isn't, isn't part of this problem that like, when we pattern ourselves on really successful mm-hmm. people who are mildly sociopathic or seriously yeah. sociopathic, Often, you know, like Travis Kalanick, I have no ill will towards him, um, mm-hmm. you know, but but him, Mark Zuckerberg, there there is a sort of undercurrent of, you know, shameless, fearless, and potentially. I actually think that like Travis and Mark do have shame because that's why they always do image control. There's a difference between like narcissism and like by any means necessary, but to theirs is more about lack of empathy that I think that they're willing for these consequences if it's for the bottom line, but that's not necessarily shameless because if they didn't have shame, they'd be like Trump. Trump's like, yeah, I said it. Like he really doesn't have shame, but he also, because of his narcissism, tries to spin it, spin it, spin it to make him look good. So when I say shameless, I mean not being afraid to ask for help, not being afraid to hire somebody who knows more than you. You know, there, you know, cause there's also sociopaths who would never let that happen. Right. You know, and fearless in the fact that you have to be willing to push through fear because yeah, it's a really scary lifestyle. Like you, it feels like a threat. Yeah. Do you think though that, um, yeah, so, so push through is different, I think, than being fearless. There's being fearless and then there's like acknowledging and recognizing that you are afraid of something and yet right. deciding to do that. So can yes, you talk about the, great. can you talk about the difference between those things for you? Everybody, I used to take boxing lessons from this really hardcore Israeli guy. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, I, I'm very honest. I had a nose job, you know, I got on Fifth Avenue and I was just like, I'm scared. I paid a lot for my nose. I don't want you to hit me. <laughs> I shouldn't have told that story, but he That's told me funny. something that stuck with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was like, B, the champions, every, he like almost played for the Israeli Olympic team. He's like, the champions are great. Everybody who gets in that ring is scared. The winner is the only one who can like block it out. It's the same thing. Like, I mean, everybody is scared. Like, if you weren't scared, you'd be stupid. And we've seen founders like that who 
a reason they're fearless is because they don't know how hard it's going to be. The reason they can come in with their right. dicks out and be like, this is a trillion dollar valuation is because they're dumb. You know, that's not the same as fearless. They don't know that they should be scared and that they should, you know, because I don't think that fear is a bad thing as a therapist. You know, if we look at it from evolutionary psychology, worry protected us. It kept us safe. It meant that, you know, something was around the corner. We had to like double and triple check. Like sure. it's not saying don't be cautious, but you know, you have to feel the fear and do it anyway. I've, I've never seen anybody wait until they felt better to do something in that. And because time is of the essence of what we do, you know? Yeah, that's definitely interesting. I feel like I've often given the advice to people. So, you know, I do a bunch of public speaking and that's, you yeah. know, my, my passion. He's great at it, y'all. If you've never you. seen Gabe Zickerman speak, it'll, it'll give you goosies. You're very sweet. Check out GabeZickerman.com and you can watch <laughs> some of my videos. Um, so, um, one of the things that I often would tell people is at the beginning of my, my career doing public speaking, I would say, oh, I'm not nervous speaking in public. Like, I don't, I don't get nervous because, mm -hmm. and, and what I realized was it was because um, it's not that I didn't get nervous. It's that I didn't, I didn't have the same somatic response to the nervousness of public speaking as other people seem to have. Like, I wasn't, it didn't affect my desire or, or lack of desire to get up on stage. So no matter how right. afraid I was, I was like, exactly. I'm still going to get up on that stage because that's where mm -hmm. I love to be. And mm -hmm. so the way that I changed it over time, and I, I wonder if this has any resonance for you, I changed that idea over time to be, um, well, you should be afraid um, of the audience not getting your message. You know, mm. that's that's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that I get up there and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, like, forget my words. I'm not going to, like, mm -hmm. fall off mm -hmm. the stage. But what if the thing that I'm delivering doesn't land with people? What yeah. if it doesn't, like, you know, resonate with people? So it's sort of like maybe a little bit about reframing what the fears yeah. actually look like? Yes. Yeah, I mean, because I still get scared about public speaking, too, even though, like, I could talk yeah. in public. You're a great talker. <laughs> I'm a great talker, but I'm not a great speaker. So the perfectionist in me wants it to be good. And, and that happened to me. I actually did for When I did my TEDx talk, I can't even watch it because like there was so much going on with the site. It didn't work on mobile. If you watch a talk, I don't even say the name. I was just so ashamed. And, and I hadn't had time to remember it because like everything was burning down in the company. And I like, it was meant to be 19 minutes, but it was actually 12 minutes. And, um, and I, it was just like a mess, but nobody noticed. And after that, now when I do talks, like I just think it's, one, your body interprets fear and excitement the same way. Like you can, if you can like mentally shift it, you can be like, oh, let's go. That's what adrenaline is. Right. And right. so for me, I have to feel like I'm excited. And if the audience is going to match my energy, they're excited to see me and they want me to do well, you know, because like my, the things that hold me back is, is like the fear of rejection, not being taken seriously. I know that I can talk about psychology all goddamn day, you yeah. know, like even if I forget it, like I'm going to say some shit that, <laughs> like, that you'll probably remember. And I trust that. Um, I just have to like really believe in myself. You know, if I want anything from Trump, he really believes in himself, like on a cellular level. That's really and so funny. I should believe in myself too. I, yeah. And I, I'm not sure I want to like, I'm not sure if that I want to like quote Trump. I, do we have to though? Um, so also a comment from Carlos and Carlos and I used to work together. Hi, Carlos. Nice to see you. Um, so some fear can serve as motivation if oriented mm -hmm. correctly. Uh, right. probably helps to keep things moving. Can you talk about some of your fears that maybe animated you in the direction right. of pretty, you know, padded room? Yeah, I mean, from pretty padded room to in your corner to um to now the difference, there's definitely some scar tissue around, you know, starting another company. This is actually my third company because it was something else I did after grad school. Um, the fear is that, it's actually, that's a good question. The fear is that, you know, 
I was broke and, and financial anxiety. And you can relate to hopefully everybody listening can relate to that. Like if you're not a well-funded founder, and sometimes even if you are, there is this, when you are broke, it's a constant, oh my God, like you're, you're not really there half the time. It's like a, you feel crippled almost. Right. And, and it, and it just like, talk about paralyzing, like actual, like this, these aren't imagined fears. Right. And so realizing that I'm risking putting myself in that situation again, also like, you know, it really hurts my feelings and my heart when like this thing I care about the most, all I care about when is like everybody anywhere being able to access a therapist. I really believe in that. So when I get fearful of like, you know, a, another rejection from an investor, I don't even respect that much. Like that is fearful. But I also get fearful that if I give up, if I don't do this, like I literally, when I meditate, think of like eventually getting reports and seeing the minutes, like Emily going, these are how many minutes we did today. These are how many people, somebody being able to find some, like it really just like melts that away. Like, and I'm scared of not doing that or giving it my best shot. And again, like that's my North star. I care about this very much, obviously. And so it's, I, I still got to push through. It might not work out, you know, most, it might not work out, but like, I believe in this and I, and I want to give it a shot. Well, and I think there's an added layer. I've talked about this a little bit for, for gay people. Um, but I wonder whether or not there's, there's an added layer for people of color or women where, you know, on top of the, all the normal fear that you have, the normal fears of um, a failure, of financial ruin, of yeah. being embarrassed or whatever, there's also this extra um, layer where yeah. you have to like figure out your model minority bit. You've got to figure out how to blend with people. You're conscious of how people see you all the time. Yeah. Can, can you talk a little bit about how that, how you feel like that influences your fear of failure and, and concern? Yeah. I mean, that is so real. You know, I mean, the good thing is like once you go through like your self-esteem breaking down after a failure and it really is below the ocean, like I can't describe how bad it feels, um, you know, you you have to lift yourself back up. You know, your friends can tell you they love you. Your family can tell you you're a star, you know, but you really if you watch this thing, you know, and you have to accept responsibility for it, it's just a crushing feeling. And. I will say there is a lot of pressure, as you know, the numbers for black female founders are not good. Yeah. Um, at women founders, I think less than 2% of venture capital still, even after it's been exposed, only went to female founders. Um, but you have to, one thing that happens when you believe in yourself and you love yourself is you don't let other people's perceptions of you influence how you feel. Like they would tell me that it was too early, right? In my last year without trying, without a single ad spend, I made 490,000. I did that, not my right. CTO, right. you know, and, and I will say what they respect in the Valley is like, I'm sorry, they like nerds who can't sell. You know, like I came, I, my strength is talking to my consumers, the people actually need my product. The media fucking loves me. I've been in BuzzFeed, all these things. When I closed my company, I had to send my URL. I went around to all of my competitors. Some of them had never made as much money as me, and but they were like, had raised eight infinity right. times more money, had eight right. times the technical staff that I did. So I did that. So just because they don't value you doesn't mean you're real, doesn't mean you're not popping, you know? And like me trying to be nice and, and you know, finagle it into the structure and the profile of what they want didn't work anyway. So I can only be myself. That's what works for me in these areas. They may not love me, but like I love me, you know, and I'm only going to serve that. We love you. Know? you. Um, okay. You. So we have another, we have another uh, question this time from Ivan. Hi, Ivan. Ivan and I used to work together also. Um, so this is like, uh, greatest hits of former people that I've, I've worked with. And actually, Ivan is a great guy. Um, so Ivan's question is, um, how about the motivating features of shame? Like, how does shame motivate yeah. behavior? It's, it's difficult, but, um, you know, he says he feels like shame is difficult, but effective thing, uh, for, uh, for human experience when you hit that sort of like rock bottom. How, how did you feel about 
um, the failure of, you know, pretty padded room in that time afterwards. Obviously, there was all the, the anxiety and heartache about the violations from your, your team. But how did, how did you feel about that shame and how does shame uh, motivate you? You know, I used to think that actually that shame is a powerful motivator. But like when I look at the world and I see like the outcomes of things that are like if you look at Facebook, you know, like if we were believe the the social network, apparently he got shamed because this girl ejected him and he started this <laughs> app to judge her and right. created all these things. But again, like once that kind of like revenge element or I'm going to prove it to you, you know, comes up, it's like the the energy that's with it doesn't go the right way, you know, like then you're already operating at a deficit, right? You have something to prove, like you won't be satisfied until you reach this negative milestone that the other person doesn't really care about. And I used to think about that with, um, you know, the valley, like I, I just felt like I wasn't taken seriously out there. And I used to be like, man, when they see me in this ad, you know, like I kept getting things and it was just like, they weren't checking for me, you know? And so like, I don't know, I feel like, Whenever you do something from a place of want rather than a place of need, your outcomes will always be better, you know, and that's just something that you have to learn the hard way. Like, cause those are only temporary goals. Like if somebody calls me fat, like I'm not going to go to the gym. Like if somebody is like, God be your glutes workout is popping and your glutes are popping a woman. So always say that's me if you're a woman. Then, um, then yeah, like I'm going to keep going, you know? So, you know, that, that's another really interesting insight. The part where you shift into revenge mode. Um, I'm going to show them, I'm going to show them that feels very, that's, I've definitely been through that. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like I carry that with me all the time. How do you, it's going to last for a long time. How do how do you manage that? Like you personally? Oh yeah. I mean, like I'm a petty person in general. I'm petty LaBelle. I will hold on to a grudge forever. Even for real, even with, it's like a dude doesn't like text me back right away. Like something closes, like, I don't fuck with you. Like there's just, I protect myself. And, um, but I will say understanding it from a psychological perspective, two things happen. Um, and that's kind of what you see in to make a cultural um, analysis in, in the hood. Sometimes, you know, if you are raised in really shitty circumstances, if you see death around you, if you don't see hope around you, you get sad. That's a very natural reaction to really abnormal circumstances. Right. Um, but the body needs to survive. And when you're sad, when you're weak, it's just like being disabled. You are, you are at risk to be taken advantage of, to get hurt. And so a more powerful emotion is anger. So what you see naturally, if you've been sad for a long time, your body turns on anger, your, your thoughts turn to anger just so you, it can be more motivating. And I actually think every emotion deserves equal respect. Anger, anger can be a powerful motivator. Fear, shame, all those negative things. They have information there, but why am I angry? Right. Like, cause I felt hurt. That has nothing to do with me those elements are gone out of my life now if i don't think about them what can i do with that energy because energy also i mean anger also has a lot of bandwidth you know and like i'm a happy person that's who i was before you know like if if it's anytime i engage with that it just sets me up so like i don't have the energy or the the time to doing like dope shit you know What, what do you think if you had to distill down for folks um you know what the biggest lesson now you you know um you know you've had the previous project you have the current project Mm-hmm. If you have to distill down the lesson, the most important lesson about the failure or about the friction or about the, the issues that happen, what would that be? Oh, man. Um, I would say the two main things. Oof, so many things. Um, trust your instincts. You know, like really don't give in to external pressure. Surround yourself with people who you trust. Um, don't be too understanding to unreliable people. We've both seen, you know, teams can be tanked by one person, like by yeah, one sure. bad hire. And like, don't feel, don't ever feel like you 
have to depend on someone either because like even yourself, like you have to do what's best for the company. If you care about it, you're doing a disservice. If you're allowing bad behavior, bad energy around it, like trust your instincts. We are the only animals that deny our instincts. It's insane. So, and there's a lot of bad, you know, not all advice is good advice, you know, like there's a reason a lot of startups feel there's a lot of bad advice floating around the valley. (laughs) Why, why did you decide to start another company instead of, yeah, instead of just focusing on your, you know, your, your personal skill set and your, your work? Well, um, well, two things, like I said, I'm Patty LaBelle. So when I was going around and finding out like people who had raised more money and people who were, had gotten funded in similar spaces mm-hmm. and were coming to me for advice and didn't know shit, I was just like, okay, no, no, like I'm going to finish what I started. Like, this is my house. I'm the queen of this. Nobody knows better than me. Clearly what I'm seeing, you know what I mean? So I was just like, no, oh, okay. I got something for you. Um, I just didn't like what I saw that was out there. And, and I had this idea that kept iterating. Um, and, and just time and trusting the process. This was part of my morning process, to be honest. Like I had to believe in myself again. You know, I'm a creator. You know, I had to have a song in my heart again for me to feel aligned with my purpose on this earth. So that's one reason. And also um just the timing of it. I had I had the, the name the difference last year and it just kept this idea just has taken so many shapes, but I'm really pleased with where it ended up. I, I love it. Like I would not do it if I didn't think this could be a winner. It, it might not work out for a number of reasons, but um, I'm in love with this business. That's who I am. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Um, so B, if people want to follow you and want to find out about your projects, can you give them the, um, the salient details? Yes. Well, my name is B. Arthur. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Gabe. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Arthur LMHC. That's licensed mental health counselor. And, um, if you want to see my personal life, it's on Instagram at BB Arthur. Um, and then my website is BArthurTherapy.com. We're actually redesigning it. So don't go to it yet, but later. Oh, oh, <laughs> and the best part is yeah. we just launched the beta for the difference. Yes. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. So if you want to sign up to be one of our beta testers, we could use you. Our goal is to be able to connect you with a live human therapist within 30 minutes or less, not just with Alexa, but by phone. So go to the difference.co and sign up. I would love that. So if you know somebody who needs it and you want to buy them like your certificate, it's dope. You're going to like it. It's the difference.co, right? That's right. Okay. Yes. Well, B. Arthur, thank you so much. You know that, uh, <laughs> you know that I love you. I love you even more after today. Thank you for being so vulnerable and open. Uh, thank you to George and Teresa, Carlos, Ivan. Ivan, thanks for the compliment that you like the show so much. We really appreciate you guys uh, watching live. Um, and uh, so you got all these info. You've got my info if you want to uh, follow me at, at G-Z-I-C-H-E-R-M on Twitter. And uh, yes, philosophy.com. Um is how you can you can follow you know you can follow this and uh, be sure to subscribe to Philosophy on iTunes, uh, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. Thanks, B. Thanks, everybody. Thank Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, leave a review, share with your friends, and come back next week for more real talk about failure. And remember, if you're not on the precipice of failure right now, you're not living to your full potential. This has been Philosophy with Gabe Zickerman.